Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to... We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. This was locker room talk. Uh, I'm not proud of it. If I win, I am going to instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation. It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Violent jihadist terrorists. We are not at war with Islam. Obamacare will never work. I pay hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. I voted to close, I think, one of the loopholes he took advantage of. Almost everything she's done in foreign policy has been a mistake and it's been a disaster. You know, Donald says he knows more about ISIS than the generals. No, he doesn't. We have a divided nation because people like her, and believe me, she has tremendous hate in her heart. I respect his children. She doesn't quit. She doesn't give up. I respect that. All right, I'm Crystal Heath. This is The Frittle Show on 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio. That was the second presidential debate in 60 seconds from Fox News. If you'd like to be part of this program, our phone number is 702-647-4522, or you can email radio at experienceliberty.com. All right, it's Tuesday. I know I the, the debate was Sunday night. I didn't talk about it yesterday. Why did I not talk about it yesterday? Well, because Sunday was... Very, very busy, and I just didn't have time to put together my thoughts like I wanted to to cover this properly yesterday. So better, better to prepare and talk about it on Tuesday than to not prepare and talk about it on Monday. So we're talking. We're going to talk about it a little bit today, not for, not for too long. Um, let's start with the debate itself, and then we'll get into, and then we'll get into this whole question about the Trump tape and, and things of that nature, which is the, I want to say elephant in the room, but it's just so strange to say that with elephant being the Republican Party uh, symbol. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So the debate itself, um, for about the first 25 minutes, it was Hillary plus the moderators slamming Trump for this tape, which I'm not going to get into because the details of it, because we have kids listening and I'm sure you all are aware of what was, what was said on that tape. Disgusting, vile, unnecessary stuff. Okay. So Hillary just comes out swinging as she should, as that's good debate. And I thought, oh, well, this is it. He is toast because the first 25 minutes telling you Hillary was on fire. She had a great opening statement and then just followed it up with, oh, hey, my opponent, let's attack him. And the moderators jumped on board and, and they did. Now, I think it is fair for the moderators to ask the questions that they did because, quite frankly, if a Democratic candidate had done and said what Mr. Trump has done and said, uh, commentators that are on the right and people on the right 
would be asking those same questions. So I think it is fair that those questions are asked. Um, that said, after the first 20, 25 minutes or so, Trump decided, okay, enough. And you could see it happen during the debate where he just transitioned. He was like, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. I'm not going to defend that anymore. I apologize for those words. And now let me attack you instead. And so Trump went on offense for pretty much the remainder of the debate. And unlike the first debate where every time Hillary came at him, he took it personally. You could see it get under his skin and he played defense the whole time. The second debate, he flipped that around. Somewhere between last debate and this debate, he learned the art of redirecting a question you do not want to answer or do not need to answer, and instead taking it into saying what you would like to say. Um, and then he called Hillary the devil. <laughs> he, he did. It was, it was a moment. It was a moment. But he managed to stay calm. And I think that a calm Trump is a winning Trump. And in the end, I think he had more memorable lines. He ended up being able to get Hillary actually agitated to the point where Hillary was visibly angry. And angry Hillary is scary Hillary and angry Hillary is losing Hillary. He had a couple of great lines. You know, she said, it's a good thing Mr. Trump is in charge of the law in this country. And he, without missing a beat, replied, yeah, because you'd be in jail. Which I thought was a good line. It amazed me, though, social media. <laughs> it's so funny. So you've got Hillary supporters that are like, see that? See that? Trump just wants to jail all of his political opponents. Anyone who doesn't agree with Mr. Trump, is gonna, he's going to put them in jail. I'm like, no, that has, that's not it at all. What he's saying is that she committed treason, which she did. That she let four Americans die in Benghazi, which she did. And quite frankly, she should be in jail. She lied to the FBI. I mean, you, you have people that are in jail for less than what Hillary did. If any private in our military exposed national security the way that Hillary Clinton did, they would be sitting in prison right now. That's what Trump was saying. He was not saying, oh, I'm going to jail my political opponents. No, not the case. Um, his also really, uh, his other really strong line was when Hillary made, I forget exactly what she said, but she made some reference to Abraham Lincoln and he turned it around and said, that's a big difference between Abraham Lincoln and you. You lie. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty good. So I thought overall, Mr. Trump ended up winning uh, the debate as a whole. I think Hillary, I still think that Hillary took the first one, but I think Mr. Trump had a very strong performance in the second debate. There was actually substance in this one, and he stayed calm, which is good for him. If he can repeat that here in Vegas next week, could be very interesting, because, you know, I, I tweeted prior to the debate that if Trump had anything less than a stellar debate, you might as well hand the White House keys to Hillary. On the heels of the tape, if he had a bad debate, it's over. I mean, the polls are already headed in the wrong direction for him. Then you've got this tape released. If if Hillary does to him what she did in the first debate, it's done. But it it wasn't the first debate. And I think he, he lived to, I mean, I don't want to say die another day, but... That's that's my personal take on the way the race is going right now. I mean, I just I look at the real clear politics poll averaging at least three, four times a week, 
often daily, and I, I don't look at the national polls. I look at the state-by-state state polls. I look at the swing state polls, and the fact of the matter is things have n- things were going well for Trump a few weeks ago, and now the, the tide seems to have turned, and in most of the swing states right now, Trump is behind. He's behind now in Ohio. He's behind now in Florida. He's behind in Pennsylvania. He's significantly behind in Virginia. He's behind in North Carolina. He's behind big in many of the polls in Wisconsin. Things are just not trending his direction right now. So unless something changes, my thought is that uh, things are not looking good for the Trump campaign. So it will be another must-have really good debate moment next week for Mr. Trump if he hopes to turn this around. That's my take. You don't have to agree. It's America. We don't have to agree. But that's my take from looking at the polls and based, you know, historically, you know, the last two elections, the GOP picked the most moderate, you could even say leftist if you want, candidate in the in the in the GOP primary and ended up losing. And I think that, you know, we we see that we may see a repeat of that. Because the problem is people don't show up to vote for the alternate candidate. People show up to vote for someone that they're excited about. Now, granted, Mr. Trump has a lot of enthusiasm. But if you look at the number of total voters in the primary, the highest vote-getters in the primary uh, were the candidates. uh, It was, I forget, I just saw this yesterday, I forget. But bottom line, you had Hillary got a certain number of primary votes. You had uh, Cruz and Rubio, I believe it was, get a certain number of primary votes. And you had the other GOP candidates that were not Trump, Cruz, or Rubio get a certain number of primary votes. And then at the bottom, you had Trump's primary votes. So, you know, and and I think Mr. Trump could have hurt himself greatly early on when he said he didn't need a united party. He didn't need the GOP to rally behind him. He didn't need conservatives to vote for him. And now he's trying to backpedal that by saying, look, it's not doing me any good that Paul Ryan isn't supporting me. Oh, you guys that aren't supporting me, uh, you're going to lose your races. Oh, you guys are supposed to rally behind me because I'm the candidate. The problem is those bridges, many of them were, were burned early on by the Trump campaign, and I think that could turn around and and greatly hurt his chances on the 8th, but we will see. We will see. You never know. It's not over until it is over. It could be. I could see it going either way, but my thought is that uh, Hillary is going to win at at this point unless something were to drastically change. And yes, that is uh, somewhat, I think, because of this tape that was found. My problem, however, not a problem, but what surprises me is how shocked people are over this tape. I mean, the fact of the matter is we know that Mr. Trump is an immoral man. Or at least has been in his past. Now, perhaps he has changed. He says he's changed. He, I haven't seen him sell any casinos or nightclubs or gentlemen's clubs, so I'm, I don't really know. But I don't find it shocking that this tape exists, given Mr. Trump's past. And quite frankly, it didn't matter to primary voters, by and large. And I'm not certain that in the end it will matter in this election. We live in a culture where it simply doesn't matter that Donald Trump is twice divorced and that he brags in writing about having affairs while he was married. I mean, that's called adultery. And we knew that in the primary. We live in a culture where it doesn't matter that Hillary Clinton defended a child rapist and laughed about it 
That's called evil. But the Democratic primary voters didn't seem to care about that either. And honestly, this isn't the only quote-unquote shocking thing that's going to come out about Mr. Trump. It's just not, I'll be shocked if there are not revelations like this at least once a week leading up to the election. Because his past implies that these things will be there. And on the flip side, I could rattle on for an hour about Hillary's treason and her immoral past, not to mention the fact that she's totally cool with murdering unborn children. But the sad reality is that we live in a world where morality is no longer viewed as something that's to be admired, or expected, or even aspired to. The thing is, though, until this election season, there was expected to be a difference morally between the Republican and the Democrat candidate. And that's where you see the struggle this election season is that if we're honest, there really isn't a moral choice. There isn't a moral difference. So you have to make your decision outside of a moral choice. And these tapes are a perfect example. It amazes me how many people, including women and wives, I mean, Trump's statements in this tape are about Attempting to force himself upon a married woman while he is married. And I have seen too many, way too many, married women saying, every man does this. I'm sorry, I really hope that you don't believe or that your relationship with your spouse is that terrible that you believe that your husband and every other husband that you know is actively trying to force himself on married women around you. I don't believe that you actually believe that. Now, yes, mankind has fallen. And yes, we can talk about issues that men have, but I do not believe that every married man is actively trying to force himself on married women. I don't. But this is the argument that we're being fed. Oh, everybody does this, so really it's no big deal. Even pastors are saying this. And the problem is that, one, it's, it's simply not true, and two, the part of that that is true, that's not a good thing. That's called sin. And we are supposed to be different as Christians, and I would dare even say as conservatives and as Republicans, the, the, the problem here is that we have always been the difference. We say that we're moral. We say that we're the party with a conscience, and we're supposed to act like it. So let me tell you this. If the two parties continue to abandon morality for the sake of quote-unquote winning, which may not even win... If there ceases to be a clear moral distinction between Republicans and Democrats, then the two parties will soon cease to exist as we know them. And in this election, morally speaking, there is no lesser of the two evils options. There is no moral choice because neither of the two party candidates are moral individuals. You have to make that decision. If you want to vote for one of the two, then that decision has to be based on something other than morals, in my opinion. My pastor actually has a a great 
um, a great summary of this, and I'm not going to steal his thunder because I think he might talk about this on radio later in the week. So I'm, I'm going to leave it there. But I'd encourage you to look at if you can't make a decision based on someone's morality, are there other things that are important in who you would have govern your country? And I'm not necessarily meaning like the Supreme Court, because I think the argument that could be made that you would potentially have a similar outcome with moderates, regardless of which of these candidates gets elected, particularly if the GOP does not maintain control of the House and Senate, should Mr. Trump become president, and I think that's a very real possibility. So I'm not meaning that. I'm meaning who would govern in a more constitutional fashion. Who would govern, perhaps, economically in a way that is more in keeping with your thoughts on the economy? Who is more of a federalist? I mean, you, you, have, to, uh, you have to make a decision this election, I think, on more than simply morals. And that's hard for many of us, I think, as Christians, because there has been, as I was talking about just a minute ago, there's always been that moral difference. There's always been that line that we could see clearly here are moral differences between the two candidates, and that made really made it kind of easy for those of us that are social conservatives. We just go with the social conservative, and everything else, you know, that falls into place. And if it, we're willing to let people that maybe disagree, we might not totally agree with on other issues, you know, in the economy or, or whatever else, because they agree with us socially. I think that many Christians supported George W. Bush based on social issues, but maybe not perhaps uh, based on some other things that he stood for. But what do you do as a social conservative, as a Christian, when that clear moral distinction is taken away? Then we have to look beyond and I think some will, will look beyond and, and see that uh, and be able to make a decision between the two candidates. I think that others will look beyond and say, no, I have to make uh, a decision to go with someone who is a clear social conservative and they might go third party. But at the end of the day, what I think this election season is is making glaringly obvious to many Christians and others is that the answer to our problems is not found in Washington, D.C. It's not even found in Reno or whatever your state capital happens to be. Because at the end of the day, God is in control, God is on his throne, and it is he who sets up kings and who puts kings down. And no matter who the king is, his heart is in the hand of the Lord. That doesn't change based on whether they're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or a Constitutionalist, their heart will still be in God's hand and he can move it however he wants. And that is the hope that we have for this country, regardless of who wins an election on November 8th. 
This hour of KVXL programming is brought to you by Mario Giannini State Farm Insurance. Giannini State Farm offers insurance coverage for your home, auto, life, and banking needs. You can reach Mario's team at 702-982-3300 or online at insurewithmario.com. You can also stop by their office in the Tucson Plaza Shopping Center off Lake Mead for no obligation insurance quote. Our thanks to Mario Giannini State Farm Insurance for their support of KVXL programming. All right, let's take a break. This is Christian Stanfill with Even So Come. When we get back, uh, our pastor, Dr. David Tice, is going to be here. He was recently at the Ark Encounter uh, in Kentucky, and he's going to tell us a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the importance of creationism. It's a good conversation. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. And welcome back. This is the Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM. Our pastor here at Liberty Baptist, Dr. David Tice, is with us again today. Welcome, Pastor Tice. How are you? Just wonderful. It's good to be back. Today we're going to talk about Noah's Ark, and more specifically, Ken Ham's Ark in Kentucky. That's right. <laughs> hey, I. It was. we had the opportunity of going there just last month, and uh, maybe a month and a half ago now, and it was awesome. I, I have always thought, that wouldn't it be great if somebody built a replica of Noah's Ark so we could actually see what it was like? I can remember when our when our church school first started, and I went in and I thought I want I want to teach these junior hires and senior hires what it really was like, and so I started teaching through the Book of Genesis, and I remember taking him out when we got to Noah's Ark, and I'm walking to the end of our property and showing them how big and marking off and having one stand on where, where, where one side of the ark would be sure. and somebody on the other side of the ark. And I said, man, this is amazing. And they were amazed that it was that big. People don't realize yeah. what God told Noah to do. But when somebody actually built one, when Ken Ham said, I got the idea of building this, so that people could actually see it, it's it's amazing. So So let's back up for those that maybe aren't familiar with the ark story or why the ark story is even important let's start there what's the story of noah's ark okay the story the story of noah's ark uh, the bible tells us that the world got so wicked that the imaginations of the thoughts of of men were only evil continually and so god decides he's going to destroy the entire world yeah. the bible says there was one man noah who's who found grace in the eyes of the lord now that doesn't say that noah was perfect it's just that he was somebody who humbled himself before God. Uh, he was just like us. We get saved the same way. We have to humble ourselves before God, say we know we're sinners and we need you, and we ask Jesus to give us eternal life. Uh, well, Noah had humbled himself before God, and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God said, I'm going to spare the world for one man's sake. That tells us how important it is that we live what God wants us to yeah. live. God was going to spare the entire world for, for one man's sake. That was Noah. Also, the Noahic story tells us um, this, that God is a God of judgment. And if mm-hmm. God says his judgment's coming, you better believe his judgment's coming. Um, and I think that's why so many people want to deny the reality of the ark. So Noah gets all um, gets, gets commandment by God to build a... Uh, an ark uh, on which he is to take uh, two of every unclean animal on the ark and seven of every clean animal on the ark with him. And, and uh, once it's done, 
uh, the ark is going to close and there's going to be a flood that's going to be a worldwide flood that's going to destroy uh, everything on the planet except Noah and his family and the animals that are in the ark. And, of course, the, the, uh, the sea creatures, they will, they'll survive. And um, so he does that. And this is in Genesis chapters 6 through 9. Uh, we have the Noahic flood uh, being described by, uh, by God. Noah comes out of the ark. Uh, God says, okay, I want you to f- uh, replenish the earth. And, and uh, it's an opportunity for mankind to start over again. But man in his sinful condition uh, continues to disobey God, even though they've seen the wrath of God. And uh, the story of Genesis goes on. So we'll get back to Ken Ham's ark in a second. But you mentioned something uh, in, in, in your story summary of the story there you said people want to deny the reality of the ark and i think you know that goes back to the overarching theme of denying the reality of genesis as a whole so talk about that for a second why is creation why is genesis important to us as christians today you know i think there's this this tendency to lean on this all we need is jesus jesus loves you you love jesus life is wonderful happy go live your life and we do need jesus obviously that's how we get saved but why do we need Genesis? Why can't we just chop off the Old Testament, throw that aside, and just start with Matthew and go on? Well, the problem would be is that everything that Jesus taught is based on the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus taught us that we were all sinners. The Pharisees hated that idea, uh, and that's why they were against him, because he said to the Pharisees, you've got to repent just like everybody else. You've got to change your mind. You're not good enough to get to heaven. Right. Uh, Genesis tells us that we're sinners. Genesis tells us where we came from. So, it, And Genesis tells us what our purpose is in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were created in the image of God, in the image of unlikeness of God. If we were not created in the image of God, if we evolved, as evolution tells us, then all we are is a high form of of uh, animal. And, and if you teach children that over a period of years, as we have in our public schools the last 50 years, then the children grow up and they act like animals. And we wonder why we have crime and violence in our world today. We have it because because people think they're nothing but animals and they're treated like animals and they treat other people like animals. Um, so we don't know where we came from. We don't know why we're here. and We don't know where, where we're, we're going. going. If, 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 if Genesis is not true, we don't, we, there is there, um, uh, not only that, the word of God, Jesus is wrong because mm-hmm. Jesus quotes from Genesis. Jesus talks about Adam and Eve. Jesus yeah. talks about the reality of Genesis. So, Jesus winds up being a liar. Uh, I can't if I can't trust him about Adam and Eve. How can I trust him about my salvation? Mm-hmm. So the 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 um, veracity, the the truth of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in the book of Genesis, uh, because what he taught us is based on the facts that we get from the book of Genesis. So very, very important. Yeah. And I think that's important that we remember too, as even some in what we would call Christian circles, push the gap theory and different things that are not biblically correct. It's important that we not just toss that aside because if we, like you said, if we can't trust God on Adam and Eve, then we pretty much that, that cancels out the rest of it completely. Absolutely. So, okay. So that's the background. So Ken Ham has this ministry, Answers in Genesis, to, to promote a better understanding of creation and creationism and the Old Testament as a whole, I think, um, which, of course, then leading up to salvation through Jesus Christ and, and that foundation. So you guys go there, you get there, there's this huge arc. 
obviously you were telling us about how you had students, so you, you, you knew how big it was going to be, but did it still, did it blow you away a little bit how ginormous this thing is? I mean, I can't even picture in my mind. I saw one video of someone walking into it, and it just looked huge. Uh, it's, it's amazing. You, you walk up and you look at the thing and you think, man, oh, man. See, because it wasn't, there, there was never one to look at, yeah. people could say, how could you get all the animals in there? And how could, how could that possibly... Tr- but when you look at this thing, you say, this thing is massive. So are we talking like cruise ship massive? Oh, yeah, it's... Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. I remember the first time I saw a cruise ship, I thought, good night. And, and I wondered what it would be like as compared. But this thing is so enormous. You just... You, you have to park. You, you, you take a bus... You park where the parking lot is, and then you take a bus up to where it, where it is, and you get off the bus, and it's just, it's it's amazing. Uh, so you're in awe of the size. Then you walk up to the ark, and um, and when you walk up and you see the ramp going in, you know, you see these bathtub toys, you know, and there's a little ramp, and you, and you <laughs> yeah. crawl up, and it's so completely wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, you walk in, you, you wonder, how in the world do they... Did they filter the water? How do they how do they feed? And and uh, Ken Ham, what he has done is he's shown the practical methods of filtering the water and how they change the water into drinkable water. Wow. And now they uh, he, there's 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 displays of of where they would keep uh, they would keep the water um, stored and where they kept the food stored. And you can see from the massive uh, the size of the thing. There was plenty of room. You're looking at three stories, and it just keeps going and going and going. So wow. much so that my my I had my 12-year-old grandson and my 7-year-old grandson with me, and they're just getting worn out walking <laughs> through the ark uh, because there's so much so it's to that see. That big. And yeah, you, you're you're halfway through, and they say, "Are what? Where else are we going?" And we go up, and it shows <laughs> shows a model of the ark and. Uh, and so you can actually show them where they've been and where you where you're going and what's going on. It's it's just it's phenomenal. Was there anything about being at uh, this ark replica that surprised you that you thought, oh, I'd never thought of that before, or or that was just something that made you go, oh, that's interesting. Well, the, they had living quarters in there, and so they show where they mm. might be living, and you think, oh, so yeah, well, that's interesting because you think about cages and you think about the animals and you think about how oh, they're going to get rid of the waste and yeah. that kind of stuff. If uh, uh, and he shows all that, the but the living quarters. It was interesting because again, the place is so massive. They could have had plenty of living quarters, and they had individual. They could have individual bedrooms uh, to sleep in. They also had. Uh, Within the ark, they had displays of, uh, uh, and of course, this wouldn't have been in the ark, but but they had displays of how creation took place, and mm-hmm. and they took they showed uh, different uh, aspects of of Christianity. They had one area that had different aspects of Christianity throughout the centuries. That those were all f- fascinating uh, because uh, again, it just showed. The historical accuracy of the Word of God. Yeah. It showed how God has preserved His Word throughout the centuries, and it's amazing. The Bible talks about those who are willingly ignorant mm. of the truth, mm-hmm. and what you have to do in order to deny what is is displayed there is be willingly ignorant of truth. You have to say, 
Nope, I refuse to believe it. Of course, the Bible says, the Bible says that a fool, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I always think that's interesting because the word fool uh, in the Hebrew means senseless. And it doesn't mean mm. senseless as like a dingy blonde type thing. He's talking about it's senseless. So Ex- excuse me. I mean. <laughs> By the way, I, th- I think that clown hairdo that, that oh, Joshua, yes, Joshua, Joshua told, told, told I, it, it, I, it's amazing. I, I saved I didn't it know for you special it. guests. I didn't know you Only wore that every guests. time. So anyway, the, um, the, um, where was I? I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, you were saying the fool has said in his the, heart oh, yes. there is no God. The word, the word senseless. Yes. It, it does not mean that he's just some dingy person. It means he has to be without sense. Mm. It means in order to say there is no God and to be and mean it, you must not be able to see. You must not be able to hear. You must not be able to feel. You must not be able to taste. You must not be able to smell. You have yeah, to be You must with, be completely oblivious of everything. In order to say there's no God because huh. nature screams there is a God. Yeah. So, and, and what, what the ark does is it brings us back to that reality. Mm-hmm. When you go in there, the ark says, and that's why I think so many people are opposed to it. If you've ever gone on Ken Ham's website, you see there's people screaming, what a waste of money, what a waste of time, and you should have fed people with, you know, with the money. <laughs> it sounds like the Pharisees in the, in the sure. New Testament, you know. Uh, you, should have, you, you shouldn't do that. Why? Because it reminds us of the reality of God. Yeah. It shows us the truth of God's word, and it reminds us that our God is a God of judgment. And the Holy Spirit is in the world already re- rebuking or convincing men that they are sinners, that there's a righteous God and the judgment's coming. So, um, wow, it was a, it's powerful. It's a powerful tool to, uh, to give the gospel. Yeah, I would, I would love to visit the Ark at some point. It's, uh, it's right next to Cincinnati, right? It's on the, basically the border of Kentucky and Ohio. Yes, it's, it's I think within 45 minutes of where the... Uh, Creation Museum is, and that is a phenomenal thing. We've Have you been, been to the Creation Museum? Yes, we, we've been to the Creation Creation Museum. That uh, also is an amazing it is. facility. It's just amazing uh, because, again, it screams the reality of God. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, it's not going to get much uh, play on news or anything like that, though it's phenomenal. It's mm-hmm. phenomenal. Uh, uh, Ken Ham is a tremendous man of God to have taken the time uh, to do that. And it's obviously ordained of God. So, so it reminds us of God's judgment. It's just, it's just an amazing thing. Walking through the ark, as you're going through, you'll just be able to see. I, I, ha, had I not had my grandchildren with me, and if I had had more time, I'd, I could have spent two days just reading everything wow. that is in there. Uh, I love, I love museums. But I also hate bored <laughs> grandchildren, uh, and so and and I we had flown all night long mm-hmm. to 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 get there, and uh, had got there got into the airport at five thirty and got to the ark at nine o'clock, and by that time blessing. our our kids were what I said what a blessing yes <laughs> our grandkids were were blitzed, but they even even in that tired state were excited yeah. and uh, amazed at what they saw, and it's a great place to take your kids. I would. Uh, any children that are primary age and up should see that and just be able to understand that God, that God did that, that, that God made that possible. So, yeah. uh, and and you, another thing, you look at it and you realize this is not an impossible task. Mm. Recognizing that Noah had close to a hundred years, or maybe a little over a hundred years, to build the thing. Right. Uh, uh, you recognize that God knew what He was doing. God did it in His time. 
and it's an amazing truth. It's an amazing picture also of the mercy of God. God allowed that huge thing to be built in the sight of everyone that walked by it. Yeah. So everyone had an opportunity to find out and to, to put faith in God or faith in themselves. And they chose uh, faith yeah. in themselves. And I love that God built the first boat. I mean, not physically with his hands, yeah. but everyone's always like, oh, yeah, well, God made all this stuff in nature. As if that's not some great feat. But, you know, we made technology and we made cars. Yeah, but God built the first boat. It was that's a pretty right. cool boat. Yeah. God yeah. gave you the brain, too, if you got to do that's anything. Right. That's you, right. You've got nothing without him. <laughs> well, thank you, Pastor. I would encourage everyone, if you're in the Cincinnati area, especially uh, my family, we visited the Creation Museum around Christmas one year, and they do a phenomenal Christmas presentation over at the Creation Museum. If you happen to be in that area, I would definitely encourage you to stop by. They do uh, a walk-through lights show. Um where they have, uh, you know, where the lake is over by the Creation Museum. Oh, uh-huh. They decorate it all with Christmas lights. They have a walk-through nativity. And then uh, they have Ken Ham and uh, Buddy, um, I forget his last name. It's not Esben, but that's what I want to say. But it's not <laughs> Buddy Esben. So it's, it's not Jed Clamor, huh? No, it's not. It's not Buddy Sorrell from the Dick Van Dykes? No, nope, not that Buddy either. Okay. It's another Buddy. Uh, he's a singer. He does a lot of different things with Answers in Genesis. But they do a whole presentation about uh, going all the way from creation to Christmas. It's really neat. Um, And now, obviously, the Ark is open, too, so you could do both. So if you happen to be there this Christmas, that would be a great Christmas present for your kids and grandkids. Oh, it would be. It would be a great thing. Or for me, if you wanted to fly me, I would be okay with that. Hey, we could fly you out there at personal reporting. We, see, I think this is going well. We, we this interview has taken a we turn that, for the that could, better. That, that could be your vacation day. Oh, well, now it has taken a turn for the worse. <laughs> so we're on that note. We're going we're gonna to go. Uh, we'll have Pastor back again soon to continue talking about his sermon series, Weapons of Our Warfare. We hope you'll join us at 930 or 1115 this coming Sunday morning. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is KVXL 101.1 FM in Las Vegas. And that is the Milltown Pride original soundtrack by the Bob Jones Symphony Orchestra. I like that music. Makes me just want to break out my spoons and play along. I feel like I'm in Tennessee. All right. One last thing to say today. And it is perhaps the most important thing I will say today. Because 16 years ago today, I witnessed... The miracle of life. My youngest sister, Anna, was born 16 years ago today. I was literally there when she entered the world. And it has been a privilege to watch her grow up into a beautiful, godly young woman. You know, Anna is compassionate and loving and kind. But boy, you don't want to mess with my sister. She will take you out. And when she's done, my other sister, Jessie, is going to finish you off. <laughs> But seriously, I couldn't love Anna, really all of my family, anymore. I don't think it is possible. My heart would explode. Anna, very happy birthday to you. Wish I could be there with you guys to celebrate, but I'm looking forward to seeing you next week, and we will have a belated celebration here in Las Vegas. So coming up this week, we have a Nevada Assembly's speaker, Mr. John Hambrick, is going to be here uh, tomorrow on the show. We have comedian John Christ is coming up on Thursday. Always fun when we have him here. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great week here on KBXL. So I hope you'll continue to tune in. Remember, you can find us on SoundCloud on iTunes. Just search the Frittle Show, and you 
it'll take you right there. That's how the search function works. It's fantastic. Big thanks to all of you who helped with our Harvest Fair at Liberty on Sunday. We had a fantastic, fantastic event. Uh, gave out pumpkins to th- over 300 different families. I think we had close to 1,300 people on campus here at Liberty that day, and over 50 people uh, accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That is a good day at church. And uh, the food trucks, I I think we had five, and I sampled three of them. So I called that a good day uh, for the food trucks, at least for me as well. So it was a fun time. Thanks to all of you for helping to make that possible as we reach our community with the love of Jesus. All right, that's it. I am out of time for today. Appreciate you being here. We'll be back tomorrow. Again, Nevada's Assembly Speaker, John Hambrick, he'll be here. We'll talk about Christopher Columbus. We'll talk about leprosy and some other things. You'll have to tune in to find out all what it will be. This is Hillsong with an acoustic version of Mighty to Save. Have a fantastic day, everyone.